My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 47 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. A race like no other and not just a race but perhaps the best team competition out there on the hills of not only Ireland but dare I say it Europe as well. There's a big field of 35 teams, a long attritional course of 8 legs over 104 kilometers. There's the potential for disaster, there's the possibility of glory. It's the Wicklow Way Relay and glory is where we head to for this week's episode with an interview with the captain of the winning team, David Power from Farnham WSAF Athletics Club, as well as some expert analysis of the race from Rene Borg. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go. Hey everybody, what a great day it was on Saturday and really looking forward to chatting to both Rene and David about the Wicklow Way Relay. Before we do though, well done to our junior mountain runners who are out competing on Sunday just after the Wicklow Way Relay to try and earn maybe their first ever green singlet running for Ireland in the World Mountain Running Association's International Under-18 Cup, formerly known as the Youth Cup, which takes place in Saluso in Italy on June 26th. Luke Duffy was the first male athlete home and in the ladies race Kate Connolly from Leash took the top spot so well done to all the juniors involved there and Miriam Maher and her Imre team that look after the juniors so well. Fingers crossed that it all goes well for them on June 26th as they get to put on the green jersey for Ireland. Always great to see new talent coming through. Before we call in Rene a big thank you to Kira Largay who took a moment to go to Patreon since our last podcast and made a small Patreon contribution of three euros a month which really does help to keep us going all those three euros they add up guys and it just means we can allocate the time every month to produce the two shows for you and the highlights shows of course as well and just helps us to to keep going and helps us to keep trying to promote to do our best to try to promote the sport of trail running in ireland so whether you enjoy listening to the show on your runs whether you enjoy maybe listening to the show as you're at home just pottering around do if you get a chance do please pop over to patreon and the three euros they do all add up and they do make a great help thanks a mil guys right so lots of great racing great drama and even a little bit of controversy to chat about with the wicklow a relay so let's kick off the show and let's call in the head coach of running coach ireland he was there in person last saturday Rene borg Rene, you've had a busy couple of weeks over the last um, month or so between getting ready for the Wicklow Way Relay and, of course, you have the lap of the gap in Glendalough coming up as well. But I'm sure there was a, some special moments there on Saturday with the Wicklow Way. Some special moments and some challenging moments from a race director's point of view. Yeah, it was both, but it was a, it was a great day, you know, and I think that it, it put a smile on a lot of people's faces. And uh, it was it was everything, I think, I remembered it to be, and I hoped it would be. Um, and I, you know, it's it's what I, the kind of the overarching sentiment I I picked up from speaking to some people was how great it was to be back, being part of you know a physical team, and um, and part of this you know t- the team effort and all the socializing around the the various checkpoints. Like you, I think it was it's just a perfect type of event to return to you know i know it's not the first event we've had quite a few you know since um events reopened but this is so unique um because you know you have that team effort aspect you know so you you just get much more time in this event to talk to not just your own teammates you know and work together with your own teammates but also to chat to the other teams um and so i think it was just a huge outlet and it's it's certainly especially in Glen Malore, uh, you know, where we have the, the Glen Malore Lodge, which is a, a very nice um, pub and a lovely area. And then down in Shilela at the pub at the finish line, you know, there was quite a buzz, uh, despite, as we know, there was a bit of drama, a bit of controversy, and uh, which caused, you know, a, a few moments of friction and a few, you know, uh, just put, put a dampener for 
brief periods, you know, on the positivity, you know, and I think we can we can go into that own if you want. Yeah, sure. Well, we have David Power, the team captain from Farnham, who managed to take the title back from TT Racers. He's coming up now very shortly, Rene, to go through the race from the, the winning perspective and his preparations um, for the race itself. And I thought maybe for our chat, we could look at the race from a race organizer's point of view, um, because I know, Rene, people, they don't realize the amount of work that goes into hosting events like this. I think, I think in fairness, the Inver community are very good and they do realise the work that goes in behind the scenes. But maybe we could just touch on some of the challenging points that yourself and Jason, Jason Kyo faced over the, the, the 12 hours or, or so race day and indeed the, the days leading up to it. Some of the things that worked well from a race director's point of view, other things that maybe need to be reviewed and looked at for next year. So I'll, I'll leave the floor open to yourself in terms of where you want to t- um, kick off. I know you mentioned um, technology is always a very interesting area in trail running. M- maybe we could touch on that first of all. Yeah, we could start there. Um, but I should say probably before anything else, you know, it's, it's Bill and Jason, obviously, they carry most of the load on the day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they've kind of taken over the, the active race directing role. And for a number of years ago, like Bill is basically kind of like Jason's right hand man in this now for a number of years. And um, they put all the marshals in place to, to basically help um, police and get the parking right around the various uh, checkpoints. Because, you know, in the national park, a lot of the areas where we do those handovers, they're very congested and it's very easy to, to create problems there. Um, and also, of course, that the main task is to have the, the timekeepers with the backup sheets, because as we saw, speaking of technology during the events, the, the tracker technology that's used, um, it's it's not a 100%, although the main problem with it is that it's very easy to make a mistake when you carry a tracker like that in how you carry it. So there was actually none of the trackers that failed. You know, they were all sending every 60 seconds throughout the event. Um, but some people were carrying it, you know, in bomb bags under a bottle. There was a few examples of that, you know, and that you could basically, that, that's as good as wrapping it in tinfoil. Okay. Um, or others, you know, in just kind of the rush to get the, the tracker from one hand to the other, they might have turned it inside, you know, so that the, the outside of the tracker isn't pointing towards the sky, which it needs. And that then means you get, for a number of legs, you just don't have the right data. Yeah, um, and in those, so we still rely on good old pen and paper, and having a person physically standing at every single handover, mm-hmm. writing everything down, and they take a picture of everything afterwards, and they send those pictures to me, um, and that means because like today and yesterday evening, as I was doing the results, um, we get queries in. There's always errors, so you have to basically try and figure out, you know, what exactly happened, and if you didn't have those sheets to look at. And people's recordings on Strava, which can be very helpful as well, or, or Garmin Connect or wherever it is, we couldn't really make those connections because we or corrections because we wouldn't we wouldn't really know where to start. I know, um, and it's a very comprehensive um, list of results, Renny, as well. I was looking at it earlier before we came on, and people should go on to the Imre website and just click on the link because, of course, it's not just one leg. You've got results for eight different legs. And then you're adding up all the times. Um, so you've got, what, nine different um, worksheets here on this results Excel file, the overall result sheet, and then each leg as well. It's a, it's a great amount of data. Yeah, it's a lot of data. And you can see some very interesting things, such as the team journeys, you know, which I, I liked a lot to look at that. So that's something I put a little bit of effort into building. And, you know, I like to see how many places people gain and lose on the legs and where, the, you know, what teams lost ground laid on, what teams won ground, because I think that shows you the actual tug of war that happens. Um, yeah. But the, the problem we... You know, with the, the the kind of downside of the trackers, you know, they have really helped us a lot from an organizational perspective in two ways. One thing is for safety, is that if someone gets lost or off track, we actually have a chance to find them, you know, because yes. we can see where they are for the most part, unless they have done something silly with the tracker. Um, and secondly, in the old days, what would happen is I would have gotten those sheets physically back. So you can imagine 30 to 35 teams 
eight legs, that's 200 and what is it, 70 or so entry points, you have to type, we had to type every single one of them in manually. Yeah. So it, although the trackers have some problems, one of them is that it can be quite comical to see some of the handovers. There's a very good video on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it on. There's one team, they're trying to get the tracker off at the handover and it's a belt and he's basically pulling the belt down around his ankles and stepping out of it. Yeah. So <laughs> there was a few moments like that. It, um, it sounds like they could, they could be a little bit awkward and a little bit tricky but it sounds like the benefits of having them far outweigh any of those disadvantages from a safety point of view. And then from a results point of view, while, while the paper and pen has worked so well in the past, if the trackers can help you speed up the results and the, and the accumulation of the results, well, then I think really the, the positives far outweigh any of those small little negatives there. Yeah, I think so at this stage. Um, I, I think someone was commenting on the forum that they think it would be a step back to give up on the trackers just because of the issues that they do have. You know, as I said, they, they just can create a little bit of chaos at the handovers. I didn't think it was too bad, though. I, must, I, had, um, I had the tracker at the top of my bum bag, you know, so when my runner slapped it in my hand, I literally just had to turn the bum bag around, put it in the zip pocket at the top and just as I was coming into the final bend, you know, and gearing up for my sprint finish. Before I, I did that, I took it out, put it in my hand. So as I was sprinting, I was ready to put it in the hand Good of my run. <laughs> I, I thought it worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, so maybe it takes a bit of getting used to, but I have a feeling that technology or similar technologies is going to improve hugely in the coming years. So it might just be get through this kind of slightly rough patch. Yeah. Um, there's also the aspect that some people who couldn't be there they do genuinely enjoy following it, even if, you know, sometimes trackers in these events, they don't update at the same rate. So if you, unless you look at, okay, what time was this team refreshing at? You can kind of sometimes get confused about who's actually where. Yeah. But overall, you get a good idea and, and, and you can see roughly where people are, you know, so that as a team captain as well, it, it can give you a bit of, um, well, we say you can feel a little bit calmer when you look and say, okay, my dot's there, it's moving. Um, so it might not have refreshed for six minutes, but it, it looks like he's out there. He's not off track. Yeah. And for the people that were following at home, Renny, like I'm going to include under the umbrella of technology, the social media posts and updates that Jason, for example, was doing over the course of the day. Because at the end of the day, that's the way the trail running, the big races have all gone across Europe, in, in the US, across the world, that they all have their big social media teams who are updating people um, at home who can't be at the race for whatever reason. And it was lovely to see the updates coming through all Saturday morning with all the different things that were going on, the, the handovers, the, the changing of positions in the, in the top three and so on. And then, of course, some of the more controversial things that were happening as well and the exciting things that were happening. It, it was brilliant to see photographs and videos coming through, whether it was Facebook or Instagram. And I think that's something to be embraced as well. And, and hopefully over the, over the coming years, you know, Jason and the team, they'll, have, they'll continue to have the time to be able to, you know, upload some photographs and some videos because for us that we're watching at home, it was really good fun. Yeah, and I think this is kind of, you know, if you if you wanted to broaden it a bit, I think there's always a risk with any technology that the, what we say, the digital experience become, takes center stage over the physical experience. And, and obviously you wouldn't really want that. Um, you know, it has to kind of supplement it and enhance it, uh, you know, where, you know, in certain other contexts outside of sport, uh, like I, I remember watching that metaverse um, that what is it called the trailer that Facebook did. And I'm probably showing my age their own, but, you know, I, I, felt, I thought it was horrific. You know, um, this sort of world, the digital world that, you know, that they were kind of nearly selling to you that it could be better than the real world. You know, having your experiences here, all your meetings happen there, you know, and you're there as an avatar rather than as a, as a physical being. Um, but I think there's no real risk for that happening here because I think anyone who could be there physically, they choose to be there physically. 
Yes, absolutely. So it's, it's, and it actually suited me quite well. At one stage, I had a bit of a lull in the middle. Um, I had done my leg two quite early on, and um, I didn't have to be in Glenmalore for a little while. So I had to go home anyway to uh, actually work on something regarding Lab of the Gap, but also to take a shower. And so it was really good then during those kind of an hour and a half I was in the house to be able to keep an eye on the tracker, you know, and our team used WhatsApp. We, and I think that's fairly common these days for these type of events. You know, so there was a WhatsApp group and you could constantly see people keeping each other updated on, you know, what's going on. They were sharing photos. Um, but it didn't mean that they that we didn't get back out there, you know, and uh, got in a car together and started driving south. It, it was really just when we had to step away. And as you can imagine as well, a lot of people can't stay the day. You know, we had people who had to go back to work or who had to go, you know, to birthday parties or something similar so i think for, for them it was really terrific that you know they came they did their shift they would have liked to stay they couldn't but they still got a little bit of a uh i've always say a, a sense of the the experience and the progress as the day went on yeah and um, it, it's a fascinating race rennie as well because as we spoke about in the preview um no matter who the favorites might be so many different things can happen on race day whether it's somebody getting lost maybe somebody having a trip or a fall and um, somebody not getting to a starting point or a finishing point um, at the right time. And again, Saturday, there was lots of different things happening. Um, uh, TT racers, they were going for, I think their fifth win in a row, but of course they didn't make it. Their fourth runner, I think had a, had a bad day at the office and um, it was a very warm day. I think he suffered a little bit of heat stroke. Um, and I know, thankfully, Jason was at hand, I think, to, to find them when he did get into a bit of trouble and he helped to avoid um, a, a tricky situation. Yeah, and he had a bad fall to boot as well, uh, which might have been the trigger, um, you know, for, for what happened afterwards to him. But um, yeah, he felt, apart from obviously having to be, you know, kind of nearly, I think he, I don't actually know all the, the details because I wasn't there so but I was told that basically he nearly swerved into traffic where he came out so Jason nearly shielded him with the race director's car and they got him to to the finish but you know this people will know the runner as a very very good athlete you know and he ran that leg in over an hour which is would be extremely slow for him mm. um but unfortunately it also led to them being disqualified uh, because he, he was in no state to revert to the course which is the current rule set that we have, you know, that if you divert in any way from the Wickler way, you have to double back or your whole team is disqualified, uh, which seems very harsh, right? And, and it certainly feels that way when you're the team that gets affected. Um, and it was a similar situation then um, a bit later. Um, there was an inquiry, basically. One of the other team captains contacted the race organization to tell us that they believed two runners had made what's an old mistake on like six where the, the Wickler way basically used to go straight out on the road, the, the actual uh, tarmac road for a little bit, which is slightly faster than where the Wickler way actually goes today, which is kind of like a bumpy grassy path. And it's, if, if you rely on your memory uh, of how the leg was, you might do that. Or if you miss one marker, you might end up out there. And it's kind of, that would get you disqualified. And again, it's very harsh because the um, the benefit is probably less than a minute of doing that. Um, and in the end, we had a bit of a steward's inquiry and one of the teams were actually exonerated, Owen, because we looked at their Garmin Connect file. And I was very relieved that we were able to do that because it was um, East Cork. And East Cork, you know, not only they've brought a lot of great moments to the relay you know Kenneth Keller and Tim O'Donoghue have run some really good records on like four and seven <laughs> yeah. and actually Tim did it again you know, he ran a 72 minute like seven which is 20.4 kilometers a um, phenomenal time yeah yeah, yeah. and, and, and you know big, you know Sean Hare who is also a fine athlete you know he distanced him by six minutes yeah which yeah, yeah. Is, which it, really is an incredible run yeah yeah, and he seems to, there's a love affair there because every time he's run that leg, he, he has set new standards for it. And I, I was just so glad for them because the other three times he's Cork, I think it's, yeah, three times, something has gone wrong for them every single time. 
you know, so it would have broken my heart to have to be part of the team that disqualified them for something like that. Um, unfortunately, the other team affected, which were, they were also chasing the podium at the time. It was our local team, Slikulan. Mm. Um, they did, uh, the runner if I did admit it, and simply, it, 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 I think it was a case that he had run that leg so many times in the old version that he never thought about it having changed. Okay. Uh, and they, we, we are going to look, I think, at the rule set again, because there's always been teams you know reporting infringements you know i think that's natural if a team that is in kind of a competitive mindset sees another team do some something that they think is is wrong whether they think it's on purpose or error they have always reported it and obviously in the heat of the moment that causes some that can cause acrimony you know and hurt feelings um in the old days we had a culture of the race director has a lot of discretion so the race director functioned more like a you know a judge or referee yeah. Um, and it, that obviously had its own drawback because a lot of, you know, people don't always agree with the referee and they didn't always agree with the race director. Yeah. I, I remember having to make lots of these calls. And at the end of the day, you know, you made them. Some people weren't happy. Other people were happy. But I think the benefit of that model is that you you can have nuance because you can look at as a situation is not just black or white. What people don't like about that is that it's a, it can be ambiguous. So that's why eventually the IMRA committee had a discussion with um, us, the organizers, and they eventually supported the current model, which is any infringement, whether it's a long cut or a short cut, whether it puts your team actually at a disadvantage or not, you are disqualified. I, and you can understand why, Renny, I think, because if somebody does make an honest innocent mistake where they might cut a corner but it actually gives them a 60 second advantage like what you mentioned there or a little bit less because i think there's there's so much interest and excitement about the top three positions in this race and remember here any that we're not talking about a championship race or there's no money involved it's just for the pure joy and glory isn't it but people are really involved and teams you know prepare for months so I think, unfortunately, if somebody does make a mistake and they do gain, whether it's a 30 or 60 second advantage, it sounds like it's the right call to disqualify them, like, unfortunately, what happened that team. Well, what we used to do on is time penalties. So we used to have a two, two minute penalty for very small deviations. And then we would have kind of a scale five and 20 minutes where you basically where the time penalty was so big that even if it was, you know, a a long cut that could maybe be faster because it was on road or something like that. The, the disadvantage would always out, outweigh it basically. And that, that was the case made here, but even the team that eventually finished third, the Tignock trailers, you know, to their eternal credit, uh, their team captain contacted us today and offered to give Slikulin back the third place because they felt they didn't quite deserve it because they were 25 minutes behind the actual time that Slikulin right. ran. And of course- the game was roughly less than 60 seconds, what you said. Probably so does that mean really yeah. that that, that, that um, time penalty decision, that option, that's no longer in play, is it not? If you do make a mistake, you're eliminated straight away. There's no discretion for time penalties. That's right, yeah. And that's okay. you know, and that was done to to avoid discussion about time penalties. You know, so it's kind of this is a typical thing in sport, you know, you you have a solution and then that creates a new set of problems. And I'm just thinking maybe we can find if we really think about it once the dust settles, kind of a happy medium because the one huge draw I, I suppose the spirit of this event it is that it is a, it's a very social event that has acquired a very interesting competitive element, you know, and an importance. You know, people want to win it not because of there's not a national championship, you know, so we shouldn't hold it to those standards. It's not, um, there's no money involved, there's no titles, but it's important to people because a lot of people have put a lot of effort into winning it. So it, it means something in itself, you know, and I think that's very special. But at the same time, if, if ever we cross a line where it becomes a competitive event, where the social side is just an aside, you know, it's just tagged on, then I think we, we will, there's a chance of losing what makes it so special. So I just wonder there, can we get back to the race director having some discretion to say, well, for minor deviations, that should be punished. But where it is 
punitively harsh to say all of the efforts that this team put in and every runner put in, they're gone because of this. And the example that struck me when I was out there was that there is a point on the leg I ran where you're on the official Wicklow way, you know, on the boardwalks and you come to a corner and you can actually cut that corner. Like we're talking here, 20 meters zone by running across the grass, the bog. Essentially. Yeah. Now, what one team captain told me, he said, well, if you step on the inside of a track, then you're disqualified. Yeah, that's true, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, when I first heard, I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. But then I said, well, on this trail, there are many times where you will technically maybe be on the edge of stepping off the Wickler Way. Like, where exactly does the Wickler Way, you know, do, when you're running on a boardwalk section, for instance, if you step off the boardwalk, are you off the Wickler Way? So clearly, you know, it's an extreme example. But clearly, it, it has to be a little bit softer than saying stepping on the line of the track because the Wicklow Way is a natural trail. You know, it's not quite as well defined. Yeah. So, and, and, and what seems evident, Lenny, as well, is that people are rewarded if they take the time to download the most recent um, maps of their leg and they take the time to go out and wreck it. And I think in fairness to the East Cork lads, you had mentioned to me earlier on in the day that I think they came up on the Monday, was it, to actually wrecky their legs all the way from Cork, which showed their commitment. And then you would have hate to have seen them being punished then after making such a big effort, or even any of the teams, if somebody does go out and genuinely wreckies it, genuinely does the research, but maybe does a simple mistake on the day or whatever. But I think it does emphasise that, yeah, this isn't a race where you can just rock up and hopefully follow the GPS track or follow the other runners. You do need to put in the time and effort. Yeah, you do. And especially because, and this speaks to course record discussion as well, trails are ever changing. So we can never really rely on the fact, oh, I did it a few years ago. Because yeah. something could have changed and it could be quite small, but it could be enough to just throw a curveball and, um, to the team so yeah as i'd say to the listeners you probably you know leave it with us i, I think we're going to gather a group of interested um captains and, and others who have had a, a big involvement with the wickaway relay for the last decade and maybe do a little bit of a workshop at some stage you know to see what do we need to do to to, to make the rules kind of to make them create a glorious next decade you know where the spirit continues exactly as it always has. Um, I, I, something similar was done for the Wicklow round. You know, at some stage, there was some, there was some aspects that were being discussed um, about the rules for completion, you know, and they put together a little work group of the people who came up with it and people who had completed it, you know, and, and they sat down and they, they basically hashed it all out. And I think that's quite healthy to do from time to time. Yeah. You know, as a good example, one of the um, photographers on the day, Lindy Nocton, um, she suggested, should we look at the gender criteria for the event? Because at the moment, you have to have two ladies minimum. You can obviously have as many as you want. And there was actually a ladies team in it uh, this time, which they, they basically, they matched or better, depending on how you look at it. The best previous performance by another all ladies team, which is 15 years old. It was the Clonliffe ladies who were 12th in um I think it was 9-12 or something like that. 9 hours 12. And this year, the there was a team called YBC with, you know, notaries such as um, uh, Aoife Mondo and Laura O'Driscoll in it. Um, a lot of the, the kind of young young uh, girls who've been winning a lot of the races early in, in the year, you know, the, the various Immer races. Um, yeah. And they finished 12th as well, but in a better time and in a bigger field. So you, you, could, you could argue this is the best all-female performance in the event. Um, so I thought that that was a good example of the sort of discussion that you need to have for events to renew it. Uh, personally, and I mentioned this on the forum, I think we probably have the balance right still. So 33% yeah. of all the runners in the field were female. And from what I can see, just as a casual glance, most races have less than 30% uh, women at the moment. And I think that's probably reflective of the membership of most athletics clubs as well. So I think right now we're probably striking a good balance, but let's say if 10 years from now it was, it was actually 50-50, then it could be fair to say that maybe the requirement should be to have four. 
Yeah. And yeah. as well, isn't it great to see, Rennie, as well, some of the traditional athletics clubs being represented as well. We've got your own club, Glendalock AC, with Parnell AC. Um, we've got Polish Athletics Ireland had a team out as well. Brothers Pierce, Black Rock, Sp- Sports World, La Kayla. So there's a really lovely mixture of Imre Stalworths, then who then get to entice some of the roadrunners from their clubs in as well. So isn't that brilliant to see? And maybe one area that could be worked on is, I noticed in one of the stats that you shared earlier on, that the majority of the runners are actually masters runners. So maybe little things like, you know, getting the photographs and videos up on social media, that might help entice some of the younger trail and mountain runners to form teams to challenge some of the older um, guys out there, like there are Farnham runners who today have quite a, a full set of masters runners on their teams as well. And um, so, yeah. it, so there, there might be a grain going on, Owen. It's hard to know exactly because I haven't looked at enough race results, but someone pointed me to the results of the Carrick mountain race on Wednesday past. And the reason I was pointed to it was there was only one male runner in the race under 35. Wow. Okay. You know, so that is interesting. And I would love Imra to take their database uh, from all the various years and do a demographics analysis. I think that could be quite interesting for the development of the sport, just to see how has it shifted, both in terms of the age groups and the male female demographic. And as you say, then maybe do something there to, if there is a problem, you know, and it's clear then maybe something could be done. But as you say, it is great with a mixture of clubs. We had a lot of triathlon clubs in it as well, like, you know, Tinahili tried. Um, actually, uh, Racing 795, I thought they were triathlon, but I think they're actually a running club. What, we, what we've lost, though, Owen, which is quite interesting, in the early years of the relay, the Irish orienteering clubs were powerhouses of the event. Okay. Especially Satanta. And, and it's because mountain running in Ireland sprung from the orienteering clubs, not from the athletics clubs in the 80s. Um, and that seems to, unfortunately, somehow been lost a little bit. Uh, so you, if you go back and look at past results, you will see races like Satanta, Three Rock, uh, Ajax, um, you know, these really traditional orienteering clubs who have very good runners, as you probably know, in their ranks. Uh, UCD orienteering has been present in the previous years a bit. But they're not really up there anymore, uh, focusing on this event. Um, and I think generally what we see is it, it takes one or two passionate individuals within a club to bring it in, you know, and to really make its mark on the relay. And that's probably why it's a little bit cyclical. You know, we had Jerry Brady was a great man for Clonliffe for years. We had Ian Conroy, who really pushed Rahini in as a powerhouse. But then often... If, if this kind of primus motor, as we call them in Denmark, if they step aside, um, then you see these teams disappear. And I think we really need, we need someone with a good team to step in maybe and upset the apple cart a little bit in the coming years, because I know you're at Farnham Sympathy Zone. Yes. But we yes, haven't please. had a winner that wasn't TT races of all Red Farnham. I think it's nine years now. Yeah. Uh, East Cork have come very close, very, very close, but just missed out this year. Um, so it, would be, it wouldn't be interesting as well, really, to have maybe a, a super powerhouse team from the hosts from Wicklow. Wouldn't it be great to see the Wicklow guys challenge as well? Um, who knows? Maybe over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of very talented young athletes coming out of Wicklow. And yeah. if they could just be brought together by someone with enough passion. And uh, this year, I think, was a good testing ground. Obviously, they made a few mistakes. They had to make a late change, um, these sort of things. Uh, but I think if they could sustain the passion, there's yeah. a chance. And it's something we would love to hear in Wicklow, Owen, because there hasn't been... I think there, has, there was a Wicklow team on the podium in 2014, and that is the only medal a, a full Wicklow team has ever gotten You know, in these uh, in 20 years of competition. Yeah, well, perhaps maybe somebody could convince um, Wicklow's most famous female athlete, Fanola, Fanula McCormick, to maybe line out one year and wouldn't she put in a, a powerful performance, I'm sure. And maybe just to finish off, Renee, um, another just performance that I noticed earlier on, just with our coaching hats on, and I'll ask Dave Power now about it from Farnham, was the performance of Laura McDonnell on the final leg to take home the win for at Farnham. Um, Laura is a road runner, I think, and she's been, you know, she's been eating up the roads over the last couple of months. And I'm sure you noted 
her performance top of the table um, in both male and female on that last leg and a stunning time of 37 minutes 53 seconds which helped Rafarnham take home the title yeah, it was. It's it's unusual enough, you know, for a lady to win eight because usually there's quite a few strong male runners as well there that teams are gambling will you know take them home. Uh, so yeah, she undid Tim O'Donoghue's great work. Uh, you know, he he <laughs> yeah. had put West Cork back in first, you know, with that tremendous run. But uh, they just un- they unfortunately for them they just lost too much time um, yeah. on leg eight. But uh, they, the lads looked very happy from what I could see. The fact yeah. that they they got to take home one of those trophies that Richie Healy does up every year, Brilliant. so uh, yeah, I really hope we'll see them again next year. Um, and next year we are going to treat as the twentieth edition special. Um, okay. Own. So there may be a twist. We are discussing that just very informally on the forum at the moment, but okay. we are just thinking: could we do something different just to mark that? And then probably in two thousand twenty-six, we're going to have a proper proper twenty-fifth anniversary. You know, and and hopefully everyone listening, you know, will be there. Some live streaming, perhaps, <laughs> for today. Uh, but so listen, Rene, thanks, Emil, for your time this evening. It was great to catch up on that race. What a wonderful, wonderful event. And sure, listen, I'll give uh, the team captain of the winning team, Dave Power, a shout out now. Rene, until next time, thanks, Emil. Thank you, Owen. Talk to you. Cheers, Rene. David Power, you're very welcome to the show and I'm sure you're a happy man on this Monday afternoon. And uh, firstly, how is the head today after some, some great celebrations, I'm sure, last night in Ratfarnham? Um, thanks, Owen. Yeah, it's a good way to start the week, definitely. Um, we had a good, a good Saturday in the sunshine, got a bit sunburnt and worn out from running up and down. And then, yeah, yesterday, it was actually nice to meet up and it was the first time that all eight of us were together, um, funnily enough, even though we all did the event. But <laughs> that's the nature of this event. Yeah, and, and such a wonderful event, Dave, such a wonderful history. And maybe before we actually get onto the details of race day on Saturday and how you approach the race, I mean, going into race week, there's a tremendous rivalry and a great tradition, a great tradition with Rafarnham Running Club, Rafarnham WSAF. And then a great rivalry developed over the last decade, really, with TT racers. And if we go back in time and look at the battles that the two teams have had, it's tremendous. I think TT racers, were they going for five in a row this year? Dave? I think they'd won the last four. And of those four victories, Farnham had been second or third, I think, one year. And then before that, you know, Ratfarnham had their um, dominant period with, I think, five race wins in total. Am I right there? Yeah, I believe we have five wins. And um, I was looking into some of the history that the event started in 2002. So I think next year will be the 20th event. Um, and there's been lots of clubs involved. I think Crusaders have, have done it a lot in Satanta. But um, Ratfarnham has been in 14 of the events that I can see and we've been on the podium 13 times with five wins, six seconds and two third places. So it has been a record. I, I got involved in 2015 um, and was lucky enough. We were the first team home, but then TT came along and uh, kind of have been our, our rivals ever since then. So it's that's that's I've been involved ever since and it's been great. Okay, so was it four wins to each team, Dave, going into this weekend? Four for TT over the history of the event and four for at Farnham? Yeah, I think so. I think we've okay. judged ahead then at five and, the, and TT racers are at four. So, um, okay. yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> well, just, just, just like your great rivalries in other sports, it's your Manchester United, your Liverpool. And I was only watching Tom Brady last night talk about the great Patriots the, um, dynasty in the early 2000s. Well, there's two great um, rivals there and two great um, dynasties. And long may that rivalry continue with maybe some new teams coming to the fore, as we saw last Saturday as well, like East Cork and so on. And um, Going into the race on Saturday, Dave, is the team aware of that history and was it very much part of the plan to try and take that title back? Uh, yeah, it's every team, It's no matter what the sport's, when you have eight people, um, it's a mix of experience. And we actually had 
I think four new faces who'd never done it before. So uh, some people have been involved for years and know it, and then others are coming to it fresh and are probably coming in, not sure what they're signing up for. And then when they do, when I get them on board, then people realize, oh, there's a bit of pressure. We don't, I don't try and put pressure, but people understand, oh yeah, we're, we're not just going to, we are going to take part and enjoy the day, but we also are relying on each other. And that's the nature of a team. If you play football or hurling or whatever team sport you play, you, you have to come together and you don't win it on your own. You don't lose it on your own either. Like it's, it's a day of swings and roundabouts and ups and downs and surprises. So um, what I think is amazing that it takes over seven hours of, of racing and it comes down to, minutes or seconds or margins after se after seven hours and that's how fine it's got in the last few years that you're you're wondering how can you shave a few seconds here there handing over the tracker could we should we be doing it in our hand or should we have a bag or a you know how do you do it so marginal yeah. gains yeah we're getting to that level because it is very much it, this is a couple of months planning before the actual race day isn't it and say for people that are listening to get some tips for next year and so on that you really do need to kind of start sending out the messages what four or five months beforehand to get an interest and it's not just maybe eight people you need because there's always going to be injuries or people yeah. maybe you know other things just might get in the way so you need a, a squad maybe a 10 or 12 and, and starting the process months back Dave Definitely, yeah. I, in my head, we need kind of 12 people to put their hand up back in, in the spring or in the winter. And um, at least if we get a group together, you know then people are interested and hopefully you get a few new faces. There's always a bit of uh, arm twisting. There's there's people who are, lots of people in the club who are road runners or wouldn't have ran on the mountains, but you know they have potential and they will probably enjoy it if they give it a crack. So there's a little bit of that. And, and the best way is, is to go out and join IMRA, do some of the, the winter league or do some of the Wednesday nights over the summer. So it really can start like the summer. Now is the time if you want to do it next year, get out and do one of the Wednesday evening races or the weekend races, and then you'll figure out, is this for you or not? And you'll get to know people. And it's also a great way of getting into a team because you'll meet other people who are looking for a team. Yeah. Um, coming into race week, Dave, in terms of that team that you've assembled, were you happy that everybody had wrecked the course? Were you happy with the decisions that you and the team has, had made in terms of what runner was going on, which leg? Because there's quite a lot of practice and research involved in terms of the legs. And then there's quite a lot of strategy involved in terms of pairing people up to the right legs. And um, what was that process like for you? Yeah, I think was it two months ago, maybe the, the team entries or the entries open. So you have to actually register the team within a few minutes of it opening. So I did that. That's the commitment. We are going to do it. I have eight provisional names that I put down. Then it becomes real for people and we try and decide what legs will suit people. Some some people prefer running uphill and they're strong running uphill. Some people prefer the more technical descents and will make up a lot of time on descents. And then some people like the flatter stages or the road and the less technical bits. So it actually, it's good to balance out people. Um, but it's also a mix of who's familiar with some of the routes. Obviously the routes nearer to Dublin it's more likely people can can they get to them or they've ran on them or walked on them before. Whereas I'll be honest, like seven and eight are, are always a challenge because it's in South Wicklow and, you know, it takes a day or half a day to, to even recce it and <laughs> the logistics of getting there. But yeah, most people did it at recce. I'll put my hand up and say, I was actually the only one who didn't recce. Um, <laughs> like seven. So I was, I was kind of preaching out of one side of my mouth and doing the other. To be honest, I we ran, I ran out of time, and uh, I was I was relying on memory from three years ago. I've done plenty of recce's in the past, <laughs> so I was hoping nothing had changed or no trees had fallen down. Yeah, and was it a bit like a, a football final scenario at all, Dave? Where did you have to name your starting eight? Was there anybody left out on the bench, or was it fairly settled and everybody knew it where they were going? I think every captain or anybody who's organised a, a team for the relay or even any football team or any sport, yeah, there'll always be changes. So a couple of months ago, I put eight names down. It's provisional until 
even the night before the race. Um, so in the last week, we had one change on leg one. So that means we had a few couple of people who I was trying to to encourage to do leg one. So we were lucky. We got um, uh, Louis McCarthy, who's done the race before. Um, he was able to slot in and do number one. But that there's, there's a lot of knock-on effects. If you move one person, you might have to move two or three others to accommodate, just depending on what legs it suits. So um, I didn't want to move the newer people because they'd wrecked one route, and I didn't want to send them off on somewhere uh, different. Uh, I know from a few years ago when we, we did move people around last minute and um, it did cause some challenges for <laughs> navigation. So I was definitely not trying to do that. Um, so yeah, in the end it worked out. We'd know on race week, we'd nobody who got injured, nobody who had any last minute dropouts or panic. So that was that was a relief to wake up and know we had eight people who were going to be there. Very good. And I'm just looking through the list of names in the Red Farnham team here. And it, it looked like it looks like a lovely balance, Dave, between um, mountain runners and um, fast road runners as well. You've got the likes of Luke McBullen, who had a stormer on leg two, and Kieran, who's a very experienced runner as well. A couple of new names too that, that I mightn't recognize myself. You can bring us through the squad now in a second. And then Laura McDonald, who has been uh, burning up the roads, especially over the last couple of months. She's been low 17s for 5K, I think, 10K PBs. She's been, she had a business house win on the roads as well recently. So it must have been a, a real joy to have Laura um, go on the final leg to bring her home if you needed a fast time. And just the, the question I had on Laura was, were you tempted to put her into any of the other legs or did you feel that, that last leg would have suited Laura, who, from what we've seen, has a fantastic winning mentality. So to have someone like that on the last leg, was it an easy decision for you, Dave? Yeah, Laura, she's in she's in flying form. Um, she's racing loads and she loves racing. And um, we met up a week ago and we did a recce. And that's why I did do leg seven recce, because I, I decided to, to do eight with Laura. Um, leg eight is a, is a 10K um, route to the finish. It's... A bit of a climb on grass and track, and then the majority is on road. Um, so I knew it would suit Laura, and she had done it a few years ago. But um, funnily enough, we did the recce and we still got lost. So I thought she was going to shoot me and re resign from the team. <laughs> but um, she went fair play. She went down again actually during the week and recce did a second time, and she was really happy. And then convinced um, that she liked the liked the run, and there's a nice descent into the finish. So, yeah, we, we knew Laura was going to have a strong finish if it did come down to the wire and we had minutes to make up. And as it turned out, that's what we needed. So it was a bit of a relief to, to have to be handing over the tracker to Laura on, on the last leg. Brilliant. Well, listen, uh, let's get to race day itself, Dave, and talk us through the day. Um, I'm sure lots of people like myself were following it on, online. Um, Jason was great with doing some updates on social media and that. It looked like a beautiful spring day down in, in Wicklow. Um, the atmosphere looked great. Lots of things happening throughout the day. Um, talk us through maybe your own emotions as the day went on. Um, Louis got off to a good, solid start. I think, did he come home maybe in second place? And then Luke got the team at the first place on leg two. Yeah, like it's, it starts at 7 a.m. for anybody who, who hasn't been at the start. I didn't actually go to the start, but I, I was there from... Uh, 8 a.m. At, at leg two so I, I followed the race all the way through and to be honest it's not probably not ideal prep to, to be following a race for six hours yeah, and yeah. walking around and burning loads of energy but the opposite is to stay at home and rest up at home and try and watch it on your phone and to be honest you, you really miss out on it's great fun to follow the race um, and see how it develops and kind of bump into everybody along the way so I wouldn't I just couldn't um, I'd have to get out of actually running it and just you know, be a, a spectator or a, the captain, but not on the team. But um, <laughs> yeah. yes, it was, good. it was good to watch. Luke, uh, Louis came in, I think, in second, two minutes behind um, Mark Kerwin from TT. Uh, and then Luke took off and, and leg two is, is, is a good uphill race. Uh, it's a long 14 or 15K through Kirtlestown, Crone Woods and up around Paris Court and Jouse. Um, so Luke did make up a good, he made up a few minutes and came in a couple of minutes ahead uh, to route at leg three up by Doc and um, Tay. 
So that was great. And Ruth was new to the team. She's done gale force and adventure racing. So was happy that she, she was comfortable running around on the mountains. And Brilliant. she had a good solid leg on leg three down into um, Old Bridge and near Roundwood, Loch Dan. Um, but the TT racer girl, she, she flew down. So we were a little bit behind handing over. And then we had um, Greg was up against Niall Lynch on leg four into Glendalock, which um, I don't think Greg, Greg had run before. Greg's done lots of Emma races. He actually hasn't been on the Rat Farnham team before. He's, he's raced with UCD and um, Greg was happy to be on the team. So we knew Greg and Niall would have a good battle. And happily enough, Greg came into Glendalock in first. Um, unfortunately, Niall had um, a fall and an incident on the leg. So that's why TT uh, dropped back then. Um, but Niall was all right in the end, I believe. Uh, yeah. down to the heat on the day, actually, you wouldn't think of it. You, you normally think of rain jackets and cold weather sometimes being up the mountains. But it was a day for water and sun cream and staying out of the shades or out of the sun. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, th- thankfully he's all right, but th- yeah. but it isn't a great one way, Dave, that you just never know how a race is going to turn out from a results point of view. You might have the strongest team on paper or the, the four-time champions going for their fifth, but just whatever might happen on the day, whether it, it's a it's just, it's just a small accident or a bad fall or, you know, hot weather, somebody going off the route, so many things in this race can affect the outcome and the result, and just you never know the results. Until that last person gets navigation, the it's so easy to make a little navigational error and go the wrong way. Yes. It's so easy to to trip and just you can have a small fall and lose a few minutes. Or yeah, it's there's, there's so many unpredictable uh, elements to it. Uh, or you're not feeling good on the day and you know you, you you don't perform as you as you might have expected. So it was great to see Greg coming in and then Ross, who was new to the team. Um, doing leg five through Glendalock. Um, he was happy to head off and he didn't know then that he had a good lead. But um, with TT gone out of the reckoning, uh, East Cork turned into our main challengers and uh, they they had a they very strong runners. And um, then we're suddenly looking at who's on the East Cork team and where are they going to come in at us? Um, so Ross had a good lead. Um, coming into Glenmalure. He ran really well, actually. He ran really well through Glendalock and was really happy. Um, and he handed over to Kieran, who's done like six a couple of times, and that's from Glenmalure up up over the top of uh, Schlieveman and down into um, Iron Bridge and Ocavana. So um, it was Kieran ahead. And uh, again, we didn't know what the gap was and the trackers don't always update and there's no phone signal in a lot of those valleys. So you can be, even though you have technology, you really are in the dark. I didn't use my phone for most of the day. I was just looking over the hill, waiting yeah. for somebody to arrive. Um, so it was not, and by now it was actually pretty hot and there was no wind. There was no, the air was warm. There was no shade. So it was a hot day for everybody who was out there, um, which was an extra element uh, we hadn't really planned for. Um, and then you end up, uh, Dave, against maybe the strongest runner out of the whole field. For your leg I mean, did you start off maybe with a couple of minutes of advantage and then you saw the chat Tim O'Donoghue from East Cork hunting you down and of course we had a great battle with East Cork in the Masters Cross Country in February I think and we were lucky enough that day we just about pipped them but only by about six or seven points so I'm sure you didn't um, fancy seeing the East Cork jersey again and especially with someone with the quality of Tim hunting you down yeah, I think Tim Tim won the the Masters cross country down in Cork. Yeah. So I, I was chatting to him before, and um, he, you know, I had an incident down there that day. So he was reminding me of that that he he came over to help me out that day. So um, he was looking for his jacket back apparently. So I must look to see if I have a an East Cork jacket at home. <laughs> okay, yeah, but, um, yeah. So to be honest, leg seven is the longest leg. It's it's twenty k. Um, it's it's not the hilliest, but because of the length, I suppose there's there's a climb at the start and then there's a climb after about 13, 14 k. So your legs are getting tired by the end of it. So it's it's a it's it's it just wears you out. A lot of it's on road actually. But um, I was up against uh, Sean Hare was running with TT and then Tim O'Donoghue was with East Cork. So 
Um, I knew I was going to be losing time to whoever I was either chasing or head off. So it turned out we had probably, I knew I had around a 10 minute lead. But to be honest, I'd reckoned before that Tim has the record of, I think, 73 minutes. And uh, I knew I was going to lose at least 10 minutes to him. So I was hoping to hold on till near the end of the finish and at least give Laura um, something to, to kind of push out a lead. And I knew Laura would be strong, but I didn't want to be giving her like an awful time of trying to catch up. So yet I, I got to halfway, no sign of Tim. Um, it was getting warm. I, I actually took I took some water with me and I would never normally put a little bottle of water with me, but it was just so hot. I, I knew it would be an hour and 25 or running in the heat. So I was glad I had that. But um, yeah, Tim suddenly appeared after about 13, 14 K, which was before I'd calculated uh, he'd catch me. So I knew he he was flying. I just couldn't stay with him. Uh, yeah. So I was thinking bad for Laura then, but look, I just kept pushing on and like seven has a load of gates. It's uh, it's like a steeplechase. There must be 10 kind of farm gates that you have to either jump over or open the gate, close the gate. <laughs> so how many did you jump over, Dave? And how many did you It was a mix. I was comparing with Sean afterwards. You know, do you, do you take the time to open and close the gate, which can take a few seconds? So I did that because it was actually a breather for three seconds. Whereas yeah. hopping each gate is, um, was actually tiring. It breaks your rhythm and your legs are getting really heavy by then. So um. And then to finish, there's a there's a hundred steps up a really steep through the forest. That's at the last three hundred meters. You have to go up this um, really steep hundred steps, and that's an, a real lung buster. So, um, handed over to Laura, and off she went. I knew she had um, a East Park girl chase. Um, it turned out to be four and a half minutes that Laura had to make up. So, you know, over ten k, it's a it's a lot for anybody to to try and close down for four and a half minutes. Um, so we hopped in the car and drove on to the finish and said, let's see what happens. And you just have to hope that she comes in. Yeah. And I'm just reading the results page that Rene posted up on the Inver site. And what a run by Laura. And um, if I'm reading this right, I think she was actually the fastest runner of the whole field in 37 minutes, 53 seconds ahead of all the guys. Um, what a performance um, to, bring the, to bring the win home. Um, I don't know, were you talking to Laura afterwards, Dave? Did she, did she mention maybe how or when she realised that she had won it and her feelings just over the last kilometre or two to, you know, yeah, to enjoy she, that moment at the finish was, line? She was buzzing, yeah. She was delighted. She, um, she, you know, she, was, <laughs> she was probably cursing me at the start because, you know, Tim shows up and off, off she goes and she's waiting one minute, two minutes. You know, it's a long... When you're waiting, it's a long time, four minutes. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. So she figured if she could uh, make up ground, that the second half of the race is you pass the Dying Cow pub. So she was thinking if she could get there. But um, it turned out she saw these Cork um, woman on, on the first big descent and she was delighted and she, she just powered past her. So um, she was delighted then and she just kept motoring and it's it is a super time for man or woman it's it's a really serious time over that 10k it's not flat there's um there and it's off-road a bit of it so um she had a super time she flew into the finish and it's uh it's not a finish line like any big marathon you do there is no gantry there is no real road marking it's a car park in a pub and there's uh, a lady with a clipboard noting down your time and you kind of, you miss the finish line. There's a few people who just run and don't know where to stop. So Laura flew in and eventually she stopped and realized she'd won. So. <laughs> Brilliant. And isn't that the beauty of the whole event today that, you know, there's no official championship title. There's no big prize fund. There's no, you know, money or anything like that involved. It's just a day of pure sport, pure mountain running, just for the joy of it. Um, the whole, you know, team involvement, um, getting the team out, mm-hmm. running together, working, working together, um, going back to, to nature and, you know, everything uh, about sport in the most simple way of just enjoying it and competing it. And, and what a wonderful event. Yeah, like there's 35 teams and if 18, there's eight people on a team, so it's it's over 270 people taking part. And I'm pretty sure, like everybody who came in at the finish and was sitting down at picnic tables and having drinks and food, and, and whether you came in first or you came in 35th, 
it looked like everybody was pretty happy to be there and enjoying it and comparing notes and how did it go for you and you know jumping gates or jumping rivers or whatever you had to navigate on the way so it's it is great you see lots of friendly faces and even it was nice to hear from other Ratfarnham runners and people who may have been on teams in previous years and they were delighted to hear that that we'd done well but they were also happy to be in their own team and taking part you know still and in different different teams it's it's age there's a mix of youth and experience but it's uh, it's a real mix of ages and a real mix of backgrounds and I think once people do it once they they realize it's a bit special and a bit magic and they generally try and come back so that's um, that's why I think it's popular yeah, brilliant. That is maybe just to finish off day for our chat today. Uh, hopefully, there's lots of people listening in that participated in the race or would like to maybe do it next year. What would be your your top two or three tips as this year's successful team winning captain? What advice would you give to people, Dave, just in terms of getting ready for next year and whether they're going for a podium or just to have a good, efficient, and fun day next year? What have you learned over the years and what's needed to have a good day out? Well, first thing, join IMRA and get out and, and do a race with, with the Irish Mountain Running Association. Um, there's races all over the country all year and that's the best way. Um, no matter what your experience, don't be intimidated. It's, it's, it's really friendly and it's, it's, you'll, you'll learn how to navigate a bit if you do the Wicklow Way. You'll see lots of places you've never probably been, like Shalala. In County Wicklow is, is somewhere we all we all know now because we end up there in May every year. Um, I think what other advice, recce the route, even though I didn't do it, um, I'll, I'll take my own advice next year. Or maybe I'll get off leg seven and I'll get somebody else to do it. Um, and I think other advice is just keep your eyes open. You don't need GPS and loads of phones and trackers and, you know, technology, like, a lot of it is just learn how learn how to be out and go for a run somewhere that you, you don't know and times don't really matter in those you know if it's 10k you don't know how long it's going to take you the condi- conditions can change um I, I think the other advice is it it is about a team and it it's a unique event where um you've men and women competing together on the same team um, and it, it brings people together in the club and across the community of kind of mountain runners. So that's what I liked, that it, it's, there's a real kind of positive spirit in it. And I hope that that continues and people focus on that and kind of, we don't overcomplicate things with rules and making it too really competitive. The race is simple. It's an A to B race. Whoever gets there in the, in the fastest time and seven hours hasn't been broken so maybe in the future someone will, will figure out how to crack the, the sub seven hour factor in the relay yeah and the only thing Dave that I might add to that as well is just not to be intimidated in any way by the trails or by the mountains that if you have been maybe running on the roads for a long time and you haven't been under on the trails that much all you kind of need is a couple of weeks maybe just have a transition period over get out do a couple of races as you said and I think Rafarnham over the years has had a lot of road runners and even track and cross country runners who have made that transition over to, over to the mountains and really enjoyed it and the likes of Louis there Louis started off on the track and the road I think and and Laura as we mentioned who's been burning up the road say I'm all winter and spring and there she is bringing home the title on the mountains as well so um, anybody that has been on the roads you know d- don't be afraid in the mountains at all get out and enjoy it um, but listen Dave thanks a million for coming on just you know two days after the race itself and after a night out with the guys last night well done to yourself and everybody on the team and listen we look forward next year don't we to another hopefully another big battle with TT Racers East Cork all the other teams as well, of course, that are going to be, I'm sure, back stronger than ever too. And uh, they have hopefully the recovery goes well and we look forward to hearing from you soon again. And indeed, we look forward to reading your race reports, Dave, which are always good fun. So thanks a million for keeping us all informed with those two. Yeah, thanks, Owen. You never know, you, you might be back here next uh, May 2023 to give it a go. Oh, I'd have to do a recce, Dave. I'll have to... Yeah, I'll, I'll take you down to Lake Seven. <laughs> so I don't lose it for you if I get lost because I haven't been known to get lost in these types of races before and, uh, and so I'd love to do it Dave absolutely listen Dave take care talk to you again thanks Owen
Well, that's a wrap for this week, everybody. A big congratulations once again to not just Rafarnam WSAF Athletics Club, but to all the teams that were competing in this year's edition. And I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward already to next year. Well done, of course, to Jason Kyo and his organising team who did such a great job on Saturday. It's not an easy one to do. It takes an awful lot of time, effort and commitment. So well done to Jason and his team. Um, Jason, of course, is a national champion on the mountains and runs a very successful neuromuscular therapy clinic in Tala as well. So he would be a good man to maybe try and get on the show to help us all keep the injuries away. I'll try and line that one up. Guys, if you do get a chance to pop over to Patreon and if you could make that three euro contribution in month, it would be very much appreciated. Thanks a million, guys, for everybody who has signed up already and for those that are maybe thinking of doing it. In the meantime, guys, enjoy your training, enjoy the hills, enjoy the miles. Everybody, let's get our running gear on. Let's go. Let's go.